1: down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless how to get 30 30 bit get 30 to get 20 20 20 bet you get 20 20 bet you get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com this episode is brought to you by etsy Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20 bit to get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus
2: taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little
2: or a lot,
0: Perhatian, Perhatian, which is of course, as we all know, Malay for Achtung Achtung. Uh, Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the Second World War podcast uh, with myself, Al Murray, and historian James Holland, which according to regular listener Ernest Malley is, and I quote, becoming insane. Ernest (laughs) continued on Twitter. It started out 18 months ago with a discreet boutique topic selection. Now it's like plugging into the Second World War matrix.
2: (laughs) Well done, Ernest. I love him. Uh, And I love him on Twitter with his little picture of Awesome Wells yeah uh, well we still uh, don't know uh, we still don't know Ernest Malley's real name because Ernest Malley's a, uh, like a joke name isn't it right well Australian. yes Ernest
0: Malley is a famous Australian literary uh hoax where um someone wrote some some uh what they thought was terrible poetry but passed it off as modern modernist poetry and Ernest Malley uh the literary establishment fell for it completely and he was oh, I brilliant. think it was I think it was an ex-soldier I think it was some guys who'd fought in in uh, in the in the Australian local, you know, the Australian backyard, Papua New Guinea, something like that, and yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who who ended up doing this literary hoax because because they thought the post war poetry scene was ridiculous. So there you go. Well, there um, but, you go. But, but who is the Ernest, real
2: Ernest Malley? Our real Ernest Malley.
0: Uh, yes, our Ernest Malley. I mean, I actually another friend of mine calls himself Ernest Malley on Twitter as well. So uh, that's how I know about Ernest Malley. Not being Ernest. Ah. Anyway, yeah. But um, it's a huge com- compliment, particularly the bit about becoming insane, but particularly from Ernest, because Ernest, is, um, as one of our regular listeners, those of us who follow on Twitter and, uh, and on the um, Patreon know he's a, a major contributor and especially dragging our eyes across to the Pacific, across the Australian effort, yep. to the stuff the Australians were getting up to, and, and inexhaustible it would seem, a fund of extraordinary photographs of diggers in action, so yes. um, and he puts and us right
2: about Australian versions of, of Sten Guns, uh, and the right. Kokoda Trail, and Papua New Guinea that's right. um, and he actually he yeah. recommended a novel to me that was written by a, um, a veteran of the, uh, yeah. I think it was Papua New Guinea and it's just brilliant, it's really really yeah. good, it was a yeah. top recommendation, I got a lovely first well, edition I'm, of it and, and, um, and so thank you hell,
0: for that. Hell to Pay was his tip too, which is a book that, a book that um, I found in, in, incredibly eye-opening. So thank yes. you. And see, because we're only as good as our listeners, uh, and <laughs> he's a top-draw listener. So we chose Malay to get started today because the pod has only just metaphorically returned from the jungles of the Pacific. Indeed, its very soul lies before me, mosquito ravished, in need of a barrel of ale, a cold bath, a good meal, and it's quinine. So what a week... What a week we had! I hope you enjoyed the new battlefields. We roamed with the terrific guests who uh, kindly joined us. I mean, Robin Rowland, James, who you interviewed a while ago. I thought he was he was amazing.
2: Yeah, no, uh, he's, he was and, he was properly good, wasn't
0: he? Yeah, class, and you really yeah. you really felt you were it, it, inside his thinking and his and his experience and all that sort of thing, and also that he came away from it feeling, uh, you know, that he was philosophic about it but also they felt that it had made him who he was and all that sort thing it's really really interesting he really, is really the
2: cool. most lovely lovely guy and apparently he was involved in the commemorations on Saturday last Saturday on, on oh, right. 15th of August someone oh, spotted him or heard him or something so that, that's yeah. all good I, I'm really pleased Wonderful. he's, he's an he's a, absolute gent he did come down to the Chalk Valley History Festival as well once and, and you know got the standing ovation and everything it was just he is honestly he's just one of the world's really good guys really Excellent. really amazing fellow
0: Excellent. Now, James, um, where are you? Which theatre of operations are you going to be? Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm on the um,
2: Italian front and also in need of quinine and um, some mepacrine <laughs> as well. has <laughs> to,
0: as to be said. It's
2: absolutely busted hot out here. And um, and there are a fair number of mozzies as well. And uh, Mrs. H managed to uh, remove the mosquito net in the middle of the night somehow last night. So I woke oh. up a little bit covered and afflicted as oh. I was ploughing so, and, and woke up early as a result and... Simply just had to get on with reading VT by Robert Harris, so um, what could uh, you do? Oh,
0: excellent,
2: excellent. But, but yeah, oh, no, it's well. been great, and actually, but, but the beginning last, last week, I was up in, the, up in the South Tyrol, which is an amazing place, because it's, you know, at the end of the war, that was, that was effectively the last redoubt. It was not right. Bavaria, that's where they were. You had 250,000 Germans still armed, well after the... After the, um, the the surrender had been signed on the second of May, nineteen forty-five, yeah. it's the first proper unconditional surrender of the German army in the yeah. Second World War in Italy, yeah. and it's the most amazing, it's the most amazing kind of classic kind of Nazi showdown because you've got these two rival factions within the high Nazi camp. One is Karl Wolf, who used to be chief of staff yep. to Himmler but who yeah. then becomes in 1944 the number one SS man in Italy. And is basically one of the, you know, him and Kesselring are yeah. the two most powerful men in, in, in Italy after the German surrender. Certainly more, yeah. more powerful than Mussolini was as a, as when he returned as a sort of puppet dictator. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got Kaltenbrunner, who is the head of the Reich Security Office, you know, the Gestapo, the, 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 the Kripo, the SD and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Takes over from Heydrich back in 1942 when Heydrich gets assassinated in Prague. Um, and he's Austrian, and uh, and Kaltenbrunner and Wolf absolutely hate each other's guts. And both of them have got various things going on from the kind of very end of 1944 into the beginning and spring of 1945 to try yeah. and get themselves out of the war and spare their necks. Yeah, and they've done all sorts of different things. So, so Kaltenbrunner has set up this massive money laundering business going on. This is Operation Bernhardt, you know, the, the kind of counterfeit yeah. British notes, which were yeah. originally designed to uh, undermine the British economy. And very quickly, they go, oh, forget that. Let's just hold it ourselves. And let's let's have it set up for the <laughs> Fourth Reich, i.e. me. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so... Um, Carlton Brunner has these toadies who are kind of sort of working for him and one of them is a chap called Wilhelm Hertel who ends up working for the CIA post-war and is, wrote yeah. two completely unreliable memoirs under the name yeah. of Walter Hagen um, yeah. and, and another guy is a guy called Friedrich Schwent. and Friedrich Schwent is a kind of real wrong one. I mean he's just a bad guy he's a kind of wheeler dealer kind of constantly in and out of prison in the 1930s is imprisoned by the Abwehr at the start of the war and then sprung from prison by Calderburn and goes I I can make use of someone like you and he sets he sets Schvent up to 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 launder all this counterfeit money just sort it out and so and the deal is that Schvent gets 33.33 percent of every one pound that he launders successfully so in very quick order he's got absolutely shitloads of cash and he's spreading it all over the place he's buying properties he's got anyway he sets himself up in this place called the Schloss Labers which is just outside yeah. Murano which is a little way down from the kind of you know Brenner Pass so it's right in the Alps it's in, in you know one of these sort of hideaway little kind of valleys but quite a kind of sophisticated town and, and this this Schloss is on the kind of edge of town overlooking the overlooking the valley and that's where he's got this little enterprise. He's got someone like 18 SS guards looking after him. And he's wheeling it down and he has purloined the German Red Cross to act as couriers. And he's also got J- this Jewish guys who are running a racket to get Jews safely to Palestine yeah. against the wishes of the British at this point in 1945. Yeah, and yeah, using yeah. them as couriers as well. The whole thing, and they're also setting up in readiness for the end of the war, the rat lines. So all the stuff that kind of Philippe was talking about, it's yeah, yeah. these guys that said it: Hertel and Friedrich Schrent and all the rest of it. Anyway, the whole point about it is that the second kind of insurance policy that Kaltenbrunner does is in the spring of 1945, he gets together 140, uh, I think it's 149 or 130, 139 political prisoners. So, right. so, so these are the kind of what's it called, the Stifenhafte. Which is the, the the families of people who've been implicated in the in the yeah. July plot? Um, it's also people who've fallen from favor. So it's people like George Thomas, who was the head of the economic yeah. department of the OKW, yeah. and who yeah, was yeah. The, the designer of the hunger plan, which was never enacted yeah. in Russia, which yeah, yeah. starved twenty to thirty million people. It's Franz Halder, he of, he, 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 who kind of tries to rescind the halt order, you know, the chief of staff of the army for the Blitzkrieg years. Finally, wow. kind of, yeah, it's, it's it's the most amazing people. There are somewhere like seven Irishmen. There's also an NKVD secret agent amongst them. Anyway, what Cameron does is he gets them all together from these different camps. There's also Mad Jack Churchill, you know, um, right. the distant cousin of yeah, Churchill yeah. and the, the commando yeah. guy. He's going going to war with a with a bow and arrow, uh, a yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's people from from um, Stalag Luft, um, you know, Stalag Luft, the the, 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 um, uh, 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 the Great Escape one. Um, So so people who were sort of rounded up after that. There's people from... There's just this complete mixture. There's something like six Greeks, 17 Croatians. I don't know. There's a whole load of different people. It's absolutely amazing. Anyway, he gets them all together and corrals them and takes them down to the South Tyrol. And and he wants to use them as a bargaining chip. But basically, at the end of the war, his bargaining chips haven't really worked. And Wolfs have. Wolfs basically Um, won this little spat between between he and and Kaltenbrunner. And so Wolf learns that um, Kaltenbrunner's got these 139 and there's this SS detachment who have been ordered to execute them, who've come down through Germany and Austria, specially to do this job. And they're down at this place called the Plugs of Wildsee, which is this very famous luxury hotel on this lake in the Tyrol. And nearby in Niederhof is... The SS detachment, which are supposed to be looking after them and who are going to execute these people the following yeah. day. Yeah. And Wolf sends up the Vermac to sort it out and defuse the situation. There is this standoff in the village square between the drunken SS guys. Who've been getting lagered in the, in the local, in the, in, yeah. the, in, the, in the Hotel Adler. I kid you not. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and anyway, they defuse the situation and do manage to overwhelm the, uh, the SS guys, save them all, uh, and they're all saved. And, and amongst the other people on this list of 139 are von Stauffenberg's family, his wife and kids. Jeepers. Yeah, it's, it's the most amazing story. I mean, literally, you
0: couldn't make it up. You, I, you really I, I, couldn't and you just wonder what on earth their end game could possibly be because i mean it, it's this again it's this thing with these these Nazis haven't really figured out what the allies are no. like at all that they they just have not worked it out that 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 there is, there is going to, there is nothing to bargain with. There is no, there is no Fourth Reich possibility and all this sort of thing.
2: No, but uh, Wolf is the is the canny one. So Wolf is the one who has made it absolutely clear to all the all the Wehrmacht commanders in Italy that the time is up in the middle of March and it's time to kind of throw in the towel. And right. no one's playing ball. And he knows perfectly well that by by making these desperate efforts very visibly to Alan Dulles, who he keeps meeting in Zurich. Yeah.
0: Who later yeah. becomes
2: head of the CIA? Yeah, head of the CIA. That, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that he's winning himself brownie points. And what he's also got oh, is God. absolutely tons of stolen art from Florence. So yeah. he's got Harold Acton's collection the great right. British collector. He's got loads of stuff from the Uffizi. He's got caravaggios. He's got Cranachs. He's got the Cranach Adam and Eve. You know, those two boards, that very yeah. famous picture of yeah. Adam and Eve, two paintings. He's got Raphaels, Donatellos. He's got the whole sh- absolute shooting match. He's got, you know, priceless numbers of... And he's hoarded them in this prison cell in a place called San Leonardo, which is a picturesque little um, village right yeah. at the end of one of the Tyrolean Valleys. And also, pretty close to... Um, um, at a place called Campo Torres, which is not a million miles away from the, from yeah. the um, plugs of Vildesee, and uh, where the shootout's going on. And he says, oh, no, no, it's fine. You know, we were just looking after them. Of course you can, you can have your heart <laughs> back. So, so at the end of the war, which happens on the 2nd, he is still in Bolzano in his fascist-era palazzo.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and, and the Monuments Men are going up from Florence. There's a guy called, I think he's called Fred Hart, uh, or Frank Hart, Frank Hart maybe. And he goes up in his lone Jeep called Lucky 13 yeah. to go and get these, find these, these, the, these works of art. And um, Wolf's Man is a guy called Alexander Langsdorff, who's an SS colonel and, and yeah. an art expert who hands them all over to this one british uh, one american guy says okay here they all are you know we were just looking after them for you you know we never meant to steal them and put them keeping in the them f- safe fear yeah. a museum in Linz. that was never <laughs> so but you yeah. can see what wools doing he's kind of covering his ass on every single yeah. every which way it all turns out uh, but anyway, so all the so the 85th American Division, of the guys who come up through that area, suddenly there's 15,000 of them with 250,000, a quarter of a million Germans still Jesus. armed. So there's these photographs of Americans and Germans side by side, still armed, controlling traffic through Bolzano. Holy fuck! Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the most, it's the most amazing thing. I mean, you just can't believe it. It's so much so that Karl Wolf has his 45th birthday. On the thirteenth of May, nineteen forty-five, and he holds it at the Palazzo in Bolzano, and only at that point, when the American commander uh, in the fifteenth division, uh, the eighty-fifth division commander in the in Bolzano, goes, "Hang on a minute, <laughs> this guy's really taking the piss," and he goes and shuts <laughs> it down him and arrests him. But that's it, you know. Yeah. So there is this kind of, you know, it's it's like the, the band still playing as the Titanic sinking. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing. amazing. But the reason Wolf is celebrating is because
0: he knows he's got away with it.
2: He's got away with it. And he, does, and he does and he lives until 1984
0: or something like that whereas all the other Caltenbrun uh, hangs doesn't he yeah he hangs so so it's yeah. you know if
2: you if you see this as a, as a massive showdown between Caltenbrun and Wolf yeah. to save their necks and to kind of try and outdo the other yeah wolf wins hands
0: down wolf wins Incredible. it's amazing well. and it all
2: happens in south Tyrol it's honestly it's and and you can go into this palazzo in bolzano yeah. And it's still got Mussolini and Il Duce kind of, you know, on the walls. And it's just in, in and the office is basically as it was when Wolf had his 45th birthday party on the 13th of May. It hasn't really changed much.
0: So that's the local history. What's the wine like, James? Yeah, it's not
2: bad. It's not bad. <laughs> a little bit of a grind. quite like that.
0: Right now we, um, uh, um w- well, after a tough summer fighting the Battle of Britain, of course, and keeping Tojo at bay in the Far East. Uh, we have ways to make you talk. Today returns to more familiar landscape of Europe Um with that, I mean, little taster there from James. Yeah, uh, um, One of our independent company members posed a quite brilliant question recently, which we wanted to share with you, our listeners. So independent company, of course, to the people on the Patreon. But then there's all of you out there in the sort of casual world not prepared to pay for the privilege of hanging out with us. Anyway, so Wesley Frank, um, Wesley Frank asked us, what is the oddest job your family or acquaintances had during the war? We then posted this question on the independent company site. We got some sensational answers. So, Stuart Bruce sent this to us. My uncle Sid was a stoker in the Royal Navy. He used to tell us kids about being asked for volunteers to put on a basic aqualung and go down into a sunken ship to look for survivors in air pockets. He said that as his action station was down in the engine room, this would be an excuse to get some fresh air. After being instructed into how to use the equipment, they descended into the half-sunken ship. He got as far as the radio room, opened the door, and there, sitting at their stations, was the whole crew, all naked and burnt black. He said he couldn't get to the surface quick enough and vowed to never volunteer for anything ever again. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? Weird jobs in the war, plenty of them. Let's yeah. face it. Uh, David Greening says my grandfather would sometimes drop food from the back of a Dakota over New Guinea. He referred it to being as being a biscuit bomber. Well, I mean yeah. that's that's how you supplied that part of the world. I mean, uh, th- th- there's there's entire battles and battlefields that are only air supply. Full stop, aren't there? In, in, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. In, well, we were talk- we were touching
2: theatre. on that the other day, weren't we? With Rob, you know, this is the importance of sending the Spitfires over so that they could clear the sky, so that you could do these all important airdrops. Yeah. Because in a place such as the far, you know, Southeast Asia, where there yeah. is, um, you know, the infrastructure on the ground is so poor, how else do you supply the front? You know, apart from kind of sort of battling your way through the jungle.
0: I mean, there are battles in there are battles in um, uh, New Guinea, you know, over places that have been built by air. So they're like, wow, yeah. there's the Battle of Wow, yep. for instance. That's that that in New Guinea. That's a place that's been built by every single item in Wow was brought in by air, which just underlines. I mean. That 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 whole theatre. You've got it. It's all about the air, and it's again. It's the thing John McManus said mm. that everything's to get an airfield in, so that you can then dominate yeah, yeah, the yeah. next place. Yeah. To get an airfield in, so that you can then dominate the next place, so you can drop the atom bomb on on Japan in the end
2: also so that you can resupply the Chinese as well I'm a, I'm a, I remember yeah, yeah, once yeah, yeah. interviewing yeah. Reg Simpson who scored 155 for England against Australia on his 30th birthday I think in Melbourne or Sydney or somewhere <laughs> like that but anyway so he was a, you know, he was a legendary England opener um, but he'd yeah. flown for the RAF and he was flying exactly that, he was flying to Gotas. Right. In, in the far east and yeah. southeast Asia command doing exactly that stuff, got a DFC for it.
0: Matt Burton says My grandfather was in the intelligence corps Spending most of the war in Madagascar, East Africa And at one <laughs> point was responsible for, for port security At Dar el, S- el Salaam He used to say all the manpower needed to run the port Was himself a motorbike and a dog Fantastic
2: How amazing
0: uh, Paul, Paul Hicks This is really good My granddad was given the job of confiscating cameras At Mussolini's hanging Him and his mates allegedly sold said cameras Out of the back of the lorry. <laughs> 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 we have some pictures of the event that my mum carried around in a bag for ages for some reason amazing that is brilliant uh, Lee, that is oh, really that. good I mean that is that is so the army there was now well we're going to have to confiscate the cameras of that you know, <laughs> and you know we'll what, still what on earthy, you know, what on earth are your soldiers going to do with those cameras come on oh we didn't find any cameras sir yeah, no, no, no we no had a really good now. look Hanging. Really good, look. C- yeah, proper good look. Proper good look, sir. There were no cameras at all, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most um, photographed
2: Liam's- episode of the entire Second World War, I think, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah you're basically, yeah. <laughs> Mike, Liam says, my grandad was a major leading Basuto soldiers in the Pioneer Corps. Wow. One of his jobs was to deal with pilfering in the Holy Land. God. I mean, again, what we're getting here is, is this imperial picture. Yeah. Um, there are people... People who had family members all over the world yep. interacting with people all over the world. You know, we, we, we've, I mean, we have gone, I mean, here we go. Uncle Sid, somewhere out in the ocean, New Guinea, Madagascar, East Africa, Italy, um, uh, uh, Palestine. I mean, it's incredible. Well, here, here my, you Gerard, go. Here's, here's my
2: uncle, my mum's my brother, Uncle David. He joined up in yep. 19. He was born in 1925. So he joined up in, in yep. whenever it was, 1944. He was posted to the Northwest Frontier. He was he was he was fighting the Wazis. Really? Yeah, he was fighting the Wazis in a mountain a mountain artillery unit. Then Incredibly, in
1: 1940
2: the incredible. second half of 1945 was then posted to Burma, but before the war was over, he was on the Northwest Frontier. You know, the problems on the northwest Frontier didn't go
0: away during the war. No, he just carried on, didn't they? Carried uh, on. Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's that story about the Northwest Frontier that I absolutely love about um uh uh oh, these british soldiers these british soldiers um are there in the 1930s right doing doing reconnaissance or whatever and they run into some um afghan tribesmen who uh who say oh you lot again right and they think that's odd there's no one no one's been here <laughs> for um for ages and they mean and that the afghans were talking about some jesuits that had been to done a mission there in the 1790s who they chased away and it was local recent local recent deep memory oh no yeah those bastards they're back because not the british people from more than 200 years you know from 200 years ago which just, which just shows, you know, the, the whole thing with the is the Battle of the Maidan, for instance, how, how how old the memory of British involvement there is as well. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. sidebar. Gerard Wright says, My grandfather on my mum's side worked as a presser in the dry cleaners for the US Navy. He had a, a new second lieutenant take over and cancelled all the liberty passes. So my grandfather had his underwear heavy starched. The second lieutenant called him to demanding to know what had happened. My grandfather replied that the memory, a little upset at the cancellation of liberty... And he didn't know who heavy starched his un- underwear. The second <laughs> lieutenant dismissed him and later restored all the liberty passes. Fantastic. That's a little bit direct, direct action there. Yeah, get where it hurts. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Right, we're going to take a short break. Just long enough to starch your underwear back in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Waking You Talk. These pants are a bit tight. Um, More of your questions (laughs) (laughs) in a a moment. But first, a quick note to say that um, a number of you, in fact, um, uh, uh, I've noticed this drip, drip, drip of this question, actually. A number of you have been asking about our theme tune. Podcasts don't allow the use of commercial music, but we wanted something in the style of Django Reinhardt, the Romani French jazz guitarist. The Nazis hated Django. Not only was he a gypsy, but he was a jazz musician. So Romani men were obliged to wear a brown gypsy ID triangle and Romani people were systematically murdered in the concentration camps Um, and the Sinti as well. Um, Hitler and Goebbels, obviously they thought jazz was un-German and Reinhardt was the most famous jazz musician in all of Europe. He attempted to escape occupied France, but was captured. He was really lucky, though, Reinhardt, because a jazz-loving Luftwaffe officer allowed him to return to Paris. His 1940 song, "Nuage" became the unofficial anthem of the hope for liberation. So do have a listen to his music. Start with Minor Swing. Oh, um, God, that's I the way you want to start. I absolutely with j- love Django. He's so good. It's just... Delicious, it's delicious tone. It's all about the Django Reinhardt yeah, yeah, tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and,
2: and self, know, he was the wasn't, guitarist, wasn't he? He was a legendary guitarist. I mean, I know you wrote yeah, all this stuff, but he's, guitar's his thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the. But he's also, the, I
2: think the, the, the other uh, reason why uh, they uh, don't like the jazz is because also it's it's so symbolic of the decadence of the of the Weimar days, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah,
2: you know, it's yeah, it's, it's yeah, Berlin yeah. Babylon, isn't it? It's all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Yes. It's it, that's exactly it, and it's and it's. And it's Chris black music too. So, so it's... Yeah, it, yeah. Yes, I am a camera and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's black music too. So obviously they're not, gonna, they're, not, they're not going to like it for... No. For those it's not austere too. and
2: Wagnerian. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He had a... Did he not... Was he not missing a... F- he wasn't missing a finger. I've, I've got that wrong. That's, he, hey, he wasn't he was missing a finger right was now. He? Yeah, he was missing a finger. I love yeah. his stuff. I absolutely Fra- love it. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine who's a guitar player named his son Anyway, there you go. So that's... I really so Check him. out... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Check out some Django Reinhardt um, because that's the, the, you know, the music's in that style. But um, go go and go and listen to the real thing. Um, Right. Nicholas Porritt says, my great uncle was supposedly part of the crew that dropped Douglas Bader's replacement leg to him after he'd been (laughs) shot down and captured. (laughs) <laughs> fantastic which was stuffed with Red Cross chocolates and all that sort of thing and cigarettes wasn't it or pipe tobacco for Barda yeah yeah yeah, yeah and they, yeah. They, they basically it was all it was all because Galland met met Barda didn't he and they made a kind of thing of it didn't they that, that, that they were oh know, yeah post
2: war just- they were all thick as thieves him and, and Barda and um, Stanford Tuck they all used yeah. to go off shooting together
0: yeah yeah yeah, but they sort of they they made a propaganda thing of of Barda that they were treating yeah, they him properly and all that sort of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, and and, and he uh, ended up at Coldest. And he? this is yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as he kept trying to escape, and there's that there's that thing where he's halfway down the sheets trying to escape, <laughs> and realizes if he if he jumps down, he's, he's, his his uh, metal legs going to basically cut him in half. <laughs> <laughs> if I recall correctly t- tugs himself <laughs> back into the into the door which you think is, that's not worth it
2: <laughs> actually a friend of mine has got the most incredible barter collection of, of memorabilia he's got a set of his legs and Got really? His, yeah, he's got his. He's, his, got
0: a set of his legs. he's got a set of his legs.
2: He's got his crutches. He's got his cap. He's got his tunic. He's got bits, one of his logbooks. So these Douglas Bader
0: body parts—they're quite at auction. I mean, this is. I quite guess incredible. they must
2: be. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got them in his office and, and various other places. He's got. He's also got two spitfires. So he's. you know, I mean, he's he want. Got, you, he's
0: quite yeah, well. You want the pair though. I mean, you wouldn't. You want both of Douglas Bader's legs, wouldn't you? You would, I mean. Yeah, he's got. He's got, he's, got got a brace one, he's got a brace. And you would want them to the be set. the ones he used at the same time. You wouldn't want like a, ne- a leg from 46 to 48 and then a right leg from like the late um, <laughs> 70s. That wouldn't be right, would it? <laughs> no, no, no,
2: no, they're a pair. Don't worry. They, 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 oh, they go good. together. Good. But I mean, the thing is, with, you know, you, you look at his tunic and you think, God, he's quite small, isn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but isn't he an inch shorter or something because the legs? as well well maybe found that, but but you know just yeah, the whole
2: frame so. is quite small and then it's quite interesting I don't yeah. know if you've been to RAF Cranwell and you go around there you know which is of course the RAF College yeah. and you go around and, they, yeah. and you know like they used to do schools didn't they they put all the kind of sports yeah. photos the teams, sort of look, they line yeah. a corridor and there you know you yeah. sort of go down to kind of 1929 or whatever it was he was there and there he is looking very dashing I mean, he was a
0: big rugby he was a big rugby player wasn't and he cricketer. Was was, was, yeah, yeah, and cricketer
2: yeah yeah and I think squash or something you know I mean he's, he's yeah. doing it all He's in all the team yeah. sports,
0: yeah. Always with a pipe in all the sports. I mean, playing rugby, smoking a pipe, basically. I mean, it's yeah, of his time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, still smoking when he was batting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right, Paul Davis. I mean, that's. I mean, that is. I, 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 I might dig up. Um. Uh, up, well, reach for the Sky is Worth a read. It's not all true, but it's worth a read, isn't it? And it'd be interesting to find out again. Re- refresh my memory about that the Douglas Bader replacement leg mission. Because yeah. it's during all the rhubarbs and sweeps, isn't it? And they yeah. have to tell the Germans they're doing it, the Germans agree to it, so someone goes over and they're not allowed to be shot down, blah, 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 and all that sort of thing. Quite interesting. Yeah,
2: I, think he's, I, I do think Bader is the most remarkable character. I mean, he, his courage is absolutely second to none. But, but you know, I think him and Galland and and Stanford to a certain extent, they're, they're all sort of a bit cut from the same cloth. They're kind of sort of slightly my yeah. way or the highway types. Yeah, I would say yeah. I, got, I got in terrible trouble on Twitter once for kind of saying that and, um, and and put various people's noses out to join. But I think it's true. I, I think that you know they had this incredible. They were all alpha males. I mean, Gallen definitely was. Yeah. But that's Barth why we're talking was. about
0: them. That's why, I'm talking that's why, them. why we're talking they, about them because they
2: did. They had that charisma. They had that kind of natural yeah. leadership. But but it was you're either in my team and you're playing along to my yeah. you're, you're you're singing my song and my tune yeah. or you're out yeah. and there's no or kind of middle ground. And that can be quite oppressive as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Paul Davis says, My grandma takes the award within my family. Living outside RAF Oakington, she used to go on picnics and walks with a couple who had a great interest in counting planes that took off and landed. Stirlings and later Lancasters, I think. They were arrested one day and whisked away, only to be identified <laughs> shortly afterwards after the, after the arrest as German spies. I have a newspaper clipping that she cut out and kept. My aunt now has the standard lamp that my grandma has somehow acquired from the spy's house. I'm not 100% sure on all the facts, but I like to think it might have happened. It's not entirely unlikely, is it? Yeah. I mean, plain spot, plain spotting... Is that would have been a high risk activity uh, uh, in terms of your liberty at the time, wouldn't it? Yeah. For counting lengths in and out or whatever.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. We're trying. I yep. was trying to work um, out the other day. What do you think? So, what do you think if you know if you're kind of, sort of nineteen or twenty? What's the kind of least risky thing to do?
0: What in the if, Second you, if you, World If you join war, up,
2: work at Bletchley Park. Okay, but say you don't have that. You don't have the mathematical capability to be. One of the chosen ones.
0: Uh, okay. If it, if it, um,
2: okay. Let's put it this way: if, it, if it's army, quarter, army, quarter, navy, qu- army, navy,
0: quartermasters, quartermasters' stores. Although they always end up fighting when things go wrong. But um, uh, in the in the in the stores, quartermasters' stores. Yeah, that'd be quite You good, know, though. handing out one size fits all battle dress. Okay. That, so what that, would, that you would, have suit, would you done? Would, would you have What would you have joined? Well, I don't know. You see, I do. Oh, this is obviously a question that you sort of that you sort of chew over, and um, or I have chewed over. I think. I think, probably the army. I my family's a sort of army. If it's anything, it's an army family. Really. So probably a county regiment. Probably I'd have gone into Aylesbury or whatever. Yeah. For where my where my near where my parents. John Yoxon Bucks. And join the Ux and Bucks. I expect. I don't know what my grandfather probably did, probably ima- I, I, I drifted imagine. in on D Day. Yeah, yeah. I did that exactly. Something. Was so, oh, well, no, or not even. I don't know that. I, I don't know that. I don't think I'd have ended up in the sort of um, uh, uh, gung ho mob. I think uh, you in your book you've got those four categories, haven't you? You've got that uh, category A soldiers, special forces. Yeah. Category B is the basically the bloke who ends up sergeant, who makes everyone get up out goes of the, the extraction attack. Doesn't want to be there, but yeah, goes. The extra yeah, yard. G- Cate- category C is the blokes who'd like, you know, if we could not shoot at anyone today, that'd be fine. That's Mike Milligan. And then,
2: it's then everyone else, yeah. basically?
0: Exactly, it's everyone else? And I think I'm probably in Category C. If I think about, if I think about my the, what I know about my own physical courage, I think I'm Category Category <laughs> C. <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm the raindrop, I'm the path of least resistance, and all that sort of thing. So, um, see, I've given it a good th- thought as
2: well. And you know, obviously, I'd like to think of myself as a Spitfire pilot, even though obviously I'm a bit down on the Mark One. But I would still like to be. <laughs> You know, I'd like to see that in flying typhoons or something, but it's awfully dangerous. And I kind of think I, I, th- I think I'd be a destroyer captain, uh, lieutenant.
0: But then I think, but I think, I think it's the, well. The other thing is interesting, isn't it? Is is that is that the REF is very much. I mean, maybe you know, I like I like modern shit. I like technology. I'm, it's a thing I'm really interested in. So maybe I'd have gravitate, gravitated towards the REF out of the novelty of that, because that, that's very much. What it represents. All those accounts you read of people. I first saw a plane when I was five, and from then on, I knew I wanted to fly. Yeah. Virtually everyone, everyone who ends up flying says that. Nearly all of them. And they and it's it's completely tied up in modernity, in uh, you know. Uh, yeah, of course. In, in it being in it being cutting edge. Although the navy, of course, is completely cutting edge as well as absolutely brand new cutting edge te- technology. But the navy's a bit stuffy and a bit establishment. And also, you may have to go away for five years on a ship and never be seen again, and all that sort of thing. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the RAF, You're home for tea, aren't you? Down the down the Well, yeah, as long as you're on.
2: not sent to the kind of
0: Middle East, but. Well, and, uh, yeah, but but you know what I mean. I mean, the the Navy increases the chances of that happening. The Army, the Army, the chances of that happening are pretty close. But the, you, you know, so mm. I don't know. I don't know whether my temperament would have drawn me to the Air Force because it was snazzy and new and exciting, and you know, uh, I mean, there. The, the, The sort of glamour of it too, maybe I don't know. But then there's also the bit of me that thinks I'd have wanted to, I'd have really wanted to do something that wasn't dangerous.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, just a
0: bit,
2: you know, because you join the army, it's just you know, obviously if you end up in the infantry or in the army, you're in big trouble, aren't you? You're in
0: big trouble. You're you're going to be in danger, aren't you? But but you know, you might be in
2: the RASC and kind of be really, you know, chances of you coming through all right are
0: pretty high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike A from Durham says my grandfather, when not getting drunk whilst on shore leave with the Royal Navy, was a butcher on an aircraft carrier in Southeast Asia. No, says, way. He a, yeah, says he could man a, yeah, says he could man a pom pom gun whilst cleaning the tripe for supper. <laughs> <laughs> what horrible thought! <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but then you know, everyone, everyone on. I, might, I must be right in thinking that everyone on a naval ship kind of had two jobs. to was trained for at least a couple of things. So you did if you. When, you know, when it's battle stations, the cooks are, the cooks are, you know, because uh, in the ship, which I'm reading at the moment, there's the whole thing about how the, the you know, the officers mess, the wardroom, whatever, is, is a casualty clearing station when they're on, when they're on action stations yeah. and, 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 and reverts to being the wardroom again, when the, when troubles ended. And so every, everything's, everything's geared to sort of, so everyone's geared to jobs, second jobs, and the, and the, the guys who work in the kitchen, Go and supply ammunition and all that sort of stuff, which is what you know that everyone's got. Everyone's got at least two jobs when things when things are really kicking off. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I, that was I, certainly I, true yeah. in the submarines as well, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: I, yeah I'm yeah, actually yeah. I'm
2: quite in, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research at the moment on the navy and how because you know I know what happens if you're you know if you if you if you sign on the dotted line and you get commissioned or if you go through the ranks or whatever. I know what yeah. happens in the army. I know how that what that process is, and I know even better. I know what the process is in the RF, but actually I don't really know about the navy and what the training is. I mean, you know, I can. I've got a vague idea but i mean you know say say you join up on the you know i don't know 31st of august 1939 yeah and you're in in you're going likely to be commissioned into the into the royal navy are you you know as a a, someone joining up then as as a 19 year old or 18 year old are you gonna you heading off to dartmouth you know how long does that take could you you be in action in dunkirk
0: well, I don't know, because the spine of the Navy Officer Corps, after all, is people who've been in it since they were 13, isn't it? It's that, that, that they've they've been at Dartmouth and, and they've come through school as, as naval trainees, isn't it? Yeah. You know? So you've got to
2: join the Volunteer Reserve, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So so I mean, it, 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 so how does how RMVR. does the, you know, surely know what surely know what I mean Here's a good here's a good question. In the army, you join up in 1939, you could end up a lieutenant colonel, a brigadier, couldn't you? That does happen. Yep. Right? If only because of, like, casualty churn and all that sort of yeah. thing. But is there anyone joining the Navy as an officer in 1939 who ends up a captain? Because, after all, captain is, captain is brigadier, isn't it, essentially? Yeah. It, it, you know, it's a different... Yeah, no, no, it's, no, it's not, pretty high it's up. not... It's pretty high up. Captain's pretty high up. Because lieutenant colonel
2: is a, a colonel, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So does anyone do that? Does anyone wriggle all the way that far into the navy? Is the navy does the because surely you've got to do what a year as a midshipman, a year as a as a as a as a lieutenant, you know? And well, you remember to, you remember to, to, from to,
2: Sicily was that midshipman on one of the one of the ships, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and I had and I got his original midshipman's diary. That's where I got all that stuff yep. from. And that yeah. was amazing what he'd done because he'd been a, he'd been a midshipman the year before. On operation pedestal
0: yeah. yeah 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 you know oh, well yeah i mean that that's the that's the other thing is that in that theater you're you it never ended it never stopped did it no uh, no, it's uh until, well until it until it stops you know until until it's the uh that campaign's over and the germans yeah. are defeated in the germans italians are defeated in the med but yeah no his i mean his his stuff's incredible i, I, I I should remember his name. Because I only read the book was full of Hey, Peter but, um, Hay was his name, I think. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 yes, I mean I wonder did did anyone did anyone get to Captain who joined in 1939? That's a really good question. I I, I doubt not. it. I doubt it because after all that and it's the thing we talked about um around Dunkirk, wasn't it? It's the navy has this old experience built into its command into its command. Yes. Because everyone was at school together, you know, the, all the, yeah, all yeah, the yeah. you know, it's even more tight-knit than the army.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, I mean, again, I mean, this is the thing where we'll have to talk about another time, is that we, we were talking about MacArthur and Ike and all those personalities and pattern. Because the American army is so minute before the war. Yeah. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah. All the officers all know each other. There's no way that they that they can't it's not even like the british army where yes that you know there's the staff college that you might go through and you might teach or teach there you might train there you might study there whatever but you've still got the indian army so people can b- have been in the army for 20 years i uh, working their way up through the ranks as an officer and you never ever run into them they're never someone whose orbit you uh come across whereas the american army is so minute and is doing so little that everyone knows everyone and also when people go, oh, I could never commanded anyone in battle. Well, no one had. The, 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 American, <laughs> officer corps, the American officer corps uh, uh, but, is miniature. Uh, that it's is tiny. even more the
2: case for the Army Air Corps as it was before it becomes yeah. the Army Air Force. But, yeah, yeah. you know, Hap Arnold, uh, um, Ira Aker, uh, um, Tui Spots, yeah. all yeah. those guys, Do Little. Yeah. Uh, um brereton they all, all they all know all each other very the they've all worked together before they've done, they've done yeah. air flying records across america together before you know they're, yeah. they're super tight yeah yeah yeah,
0: Amazing. yeah, yeah. and I, I and i think that's that's a thing that sort of um that they, oh, just got to bear that stuff in mind so that when they're choosing one general over the other they know exactly who these people are yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not and it's and also <laughs> Because it's so you know inadvertently you know or accidentally centralized in that way, yeah um in a way that the British army kind of isn't and and any, and the British Army has always worked on a decentralized model yeah, yeah. because you you'll get sent where you go, and then you have to figure out how to operate there sure but
2: but the interesting thing is both the u s Navy is big in 1939 yep. and of course the Royal yep. Navy is big in 1939 and yep. boy does that show when it comes to the yep. Pacific War and all the operations yep. in the Mediterranean and the yep. cross channel invasion and the Battle of the Atlantic yep. because you yep. have got this pool of really experienced people who know what they're doing yep. and so when you then suddenly expand and you get all those volunteer reserve guys come in, and, and you're suddenly increasing the size of the Navy whether it be the US Navy or whether it be the Royal Navy yep. you've got that you've got that foundation block of really good people who know what they're doing that you can then spread out and and the new guys can all feed off that which is why of course you know the navy is just the 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 allied navies
0: are just so exceptionally
2: good in the second world
0: war but that's what but that's the difference say between the the royal navy volunteer reserve and the ref volunteer reserve where you know, they're not all on a ship together, so they're like a cogged machine, like a ship, where they, you know. So you've got a captain who's captain who's a regular. You've got, you know, his second in command might be volunteer reserve or whatever. You know, they're, they're, there's a sort of even spread or whatever, or whatever the mixture is in a fighter plane on your own. Whether you're a regular or a volunteer reserve makes a massive difference in terms yes, of how many yes, hours you yes, might yes, have yes. and all that sort of thing. Well, so I the, do remember,
2: so the, we were talking about it the other day, weren't we, Pete Brothers in 32 yeah. Squadron. I remember him saying, yeah. you know, which was a pre-war regular squadron, him saying, yeah. not one pre-war pilot lost their life in the Battle of Britain.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. God. Anyway, one more, one more one more, family story. This is from Conrad H, who is a regular... Um, in, very, in all the guises of this podcast, right from the beginning. When in the Soviet labour camp prior to serving in Polish Tukor, my grandfather fell ill and during his recovery, the Soviet authorities learnt that he had a talent for art. This talent saved him from further hard labour in the brutal outdoor conditions of Kazakhstan he was ordered to work in a Soviet art studio which created propaganda posters. Bizarrely, he recalled having to paint portraits of white swans and was bemused as to how this was of any political value. Fortunately for him, Germany invaded the USSR and the Poles got their chance to leave the Labour camps and join the British in the Middle East. So he made that circuitous route. How amazing. Absolutely incredible! That's fantastic. Thank you. Well, thanks for all those bits and pieces, and of course, uh, you could rely on us to digress the way we did just then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we need to. We, yeah, that uh, was I'd good. I enjoyed that. that. I, was a really interesting. I'd chat. love to find. I'd love to find out if is there anyone because in the army this yeah. happens. You have you know young. There is a whole clutch of guys who are brigadiers in their thirties. You know, it's entirely possible. Yeah, and who are colonels, colonels, lieutenant colonels in their late twenties. It's enti- it, it it happens. That they get to that level of command quickly enough. Yep. But whether it happens in the Navy or not, I'd be intrigued to find out whether there's anyone from nineteen thirty-nine that ends yeah. up. Ends I don't know, I just charge. feel
2: I need to up my game with, with, with World War II Navy a bit with the foremost. Yeah. yeah.
0: We all do. And so That's dear listener. That is the truth of it. <laughs> and so dear listener. There ends one of the stranger episodes we've had a weird of we make you talk. <laughs> don't forget, um uh, Django Reinhardt. Yeah, um, check him out um uh because you know he's the he's the he's the basically he's the er father of jazz guitar um uh minor swing that's where you want to get cracking um we're back on thursday um uh and of course we're live streaming on thursday night 8 30 p.m uk time british summer time zulu plus one there'll be a quiz this week so make sure you've got a pen and paper see you all soon cheerio cheerio <laughs>